Wrapping up our sermon series in the Gospel of John, we've entitled it Answering Jesus. We're looking at six passages in which uh, Jesus either explicitly or implicitly uh, poses a question to those he was talking to, and of course he poses the same question to us. It might be a question like, do you wish to be made well, or have you been born from above, or are you allowing me to satisfy the, the deepest hunger of your soul? Today we're going to look at John 9, which is the account of the healing of the man blind from birth. Can you imagine uh, being cut off from all visual beauty? Can you imagine being cut off from employment opportunities, relationships, uh, just being cut up from off from all sorts of opportunities that we tend to take for granted? Uh, that was this man. And in his desperation, Jesus comes and he heals him. He gives him his sight. And that, that miracle was significant. Uh, but it was also an acted out parable because it illustrated deeper spiritual truth. And by the end of this chapter, Jesus is going to go from talking about spiritual blindness to talk, or talking about physical blindness to talking about spiritual blindness. And we're going to work our way through this passage rather quickly, but this passage will challenge us to evaluate who are we most like? Who are we really the most like? Are we like the man that was blind from birth, or are we really more like the Pharisees? At the end of the chapter, those will be our two main options. Well, we pick up the narrative in, in verse 1, uh, and with Jesus, the account of Jesus healing this man. And we read this. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And you may think, why would they ask that horrible question of Jesus? Well, if you've ever read the book of Job, you'll recognize this. This was the, the mindset of Job's friends. Uh, Job experienced all this tragedy, all this loss, and their assumption was that if you're experiencing that amount of pain, it must be because you have sinned. They always saw a direct cause and effect relationship between a person's sin and what they suffered. The, the Jesus' disciples had that mentality. So they saw a man that was blind from birth, and they said, there has to be some direct cause of this, some sin. Either it was his parents, they did something horrible, and this is God's punishment on them, or either this man sinned. And on that day, there were all sorts of theories on this. They thought you could actually sin in the womb. Uh, other people thought, well, God might punish you for some sin you would commit later. He knows about that, and so maybe that's why this man was blind from birth. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed. And so Jesus doesn't say, make a pronouncement about the cause of this man's blindness. He does say it wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin. Jesus says, whatever the cause, God is sovereign even over this. His blindness would serve as a showcase of God's glory. Uh, God would do the work, do his works through this man's blindness. Verse 4, he says, we must work the work of him who sent me. So notice Jesus describes himself as, uh, as the one that God has sent. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Now, we live in a day in which we work at night, right? We've got bright lights. We've got all sorts of, of contexts where we can work at night. And that day, when night descended, work came to a screeching halt, okay? And so Jesus describes his leaving the world at his crucifixion as night when no one can work. And so the work of God would come to a screeching halt. Uh, it would be only temporary because Jesus would be raised from the dead and he would send his spirit and the church would now do the works of God, the same types of works that Jesus did. But his bodily presence as the light of the world would soon be over. Until that time, Jesus said, I will continue to shine. That's what the light of the world does. And we will continue to do the work, the works of God. Things like healing a man blind from birth, verse 6. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground. Okay, you can't make this stuff up, okay? Uh, this is bizarre. If you've never heard this before, this is bizarre. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied, it to the, and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool Siloam, which is translated sent. You remember, Jesus is the one sent from God. Go to this pool. The name of it is sent. And so he went away and washed and came back seeing. Very simple account. And so we, we find great variety in the way Jesus healed people. Uh, here he made clay out of dirt and spit. He applied it to the man's eyes and told him, go wash in this pool. Uh, all sorts of speculation about why Jesus did this. Was he reenacting creation where God made the man out of the dirt of the ground? Uh, we don't know because we aren't told. What we are told is that Jesus was going to heal this man, but the man was not passive. If he said, no, I don't want that clay on my eyes, no, I refuse to go wash in that pool, presumably he would not have been healed. Jesus would do it, but this man had to respond. Uh, and so uh, he, he went and washed off the clay. He came back seeing. And so that's the account. Significantly, Jesus disappears until verse 35. In the intervening verses, we have these four conversations, these four discussions about Jesus. And these discussions involve different people, the man who was healed, the man's parents, uh, the Pharisees, and the man's neighbors. And each of these conversations moves the man who was healed closer to faith in Jesus. We'll see that. The way he describes Jesus will change throughout these discussions. And, uh, and it, these conversations also move others, especially the Pharisees, further away from faith in Jesus. And that suggests that what you do with the information, the knowledge you have about Jesus matters. What you do with what you're going to hear here this morning, it matters. Depending on how you respond, it will either draw you closer to Jesus or uh, the other option, sometimes it will harden a person's heart against Jesus Christ, but it matters. And so I'm going to read these accounts, these discussions with little comment due to time constraints. But the first one is a discussion about Jesus between the man and his neighbors. Understandably, uh, this man they had seen begging all these years, blind, and they see him walking around. He appears to, to be able to see. That aroused their curiosity. Verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar 
were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. It just looks like him. But he kept saying, I am the one. And so they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus. That's, that's how he describes him first. The man who is called Jesus. He made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. And so he gives a very clear, concise, confident uh, description of how Jesus had healed him. In 13 through 17, we see a discussion between the man and the Pharisees. We're going to see a second one, but this is the first one. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of these, these, the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the one sent from God. But they concluded, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They, we already know they thought it was breaking the Sabbath to heal somebody, maybe making clay out of, of dirt and spit. That was also breaking the Sabbath. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And as was the case with his neighbors, there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. He goes from a man called Jesus to a prophet. And so in calling him a prophet, this man is saying Jesus was from God. A prophet was someone sent from God. He's somebody who spoke for God and often did miracles that God wanted performed. He didn't have this this full-orbed faith. Uh, His understanding is incomplete, but what he knew, he believed. 18 through 23, another discussion about Jesus. This time it's between this, this man's parents and the Pharisees. They wanted to know, is this an urban legend about this man blind from birth, or did this actually happen? Let's drag his parents in here and interrogate them. Verse 18, the Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. So they're very vague about what's actually happened here. And John tells us in the beginning of verse 22 why that's the case. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, to be Christ, the Messiah, that he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. 
And so I'm, I'm reluctant to, to judge this man's parents very harshly. It would have been a catastrophic thing if they had been expelled from the synagogue. Uh, they would have suffered uh, socially. They would have suffered religiously. Where is he going to worship? There's only one God. Where are we going to worship? And they probably would have suffered financially. And so we see that, that this man's parents had this fear of the authorities. But we also see that the man who was healed, he is fearless. He is absolutely fearless. Look at the second, the, uh, second uh, discussion between the blind man and the Pharisees. They interrogated him a second time. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, and this guy is quick-witted. I mean, the way he answered is, is just genius. And so they said to him, give glory to God. In other words, tell the truth here, okay? Quit, quit be, tell us the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. So come to your own conclusion. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And so this made its way famously into amazing grace, right? John Newton used this verse. Uh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Every person who knows Jesus, everybody who has been born from above, has some variation of this testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. Verse 26, so they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not, to, you do not want to become his disciples too, do you? And they reviled him, and they said to him, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. This man would not back down. And so with simple, confident logic, the man testifies what Jesus had done. The man answered and said to them, well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does God's will, God hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins. And IV says, you were born steeped in sin. And you were teaching us, and so they put him out. They expelled him from the synagogue. And so they weren't making a theological point about original sin, about how we're all born in sin. They were making a, a very cruel point that you, the reason you're blind from birth is because you were steeped in sin. It's, it's sin that made you blind from birth. How dare you come in here and, and lecture us? We're the Pharisees. We have truth on our side. We know the Bible. We have tradition. We have authority. We have power. And so they excommunicated him from the synagogue. We learn in verse 35 and following that Jesus sought out this man and he revealed to this man this deep spiritual lesson behind this physical healing. And that's what Jesus does. Some of you can testify. Jesus pursues us. Jesus comes to us. 
He gives us more truth. He draws faith out of us as he shows us more and more. So we read in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And that was Jesus' favorite way of describing himself. He talked about himself as the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And that's basically shorthand for the Messiah. And the primary Old Testament uh, reference there is Daniel 7. And that's the passage where you see this, this, this vision. Daniel saw this vision of one that was like a son of man, and he was coming on the clouds. And this one like a son of man was given authority to rule the nations. And Jesus said over and over, I am that man. He told those that were interrogating him before his crucifixion, the next time you see me, it's going to be as the son of man coming on the clouds. In other words, I am coming in judgment to rule the nations. And so as the son of man, uh, in order to draw out his faith, Jesus asked this man blind from birth, do you believe in the son of man? Verse 36, he answered, who is he? Lord, so he didn't understand who he was. Who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking to you. And so once he identified himself, I'm the son of man. The man responded immediately and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He believed and he worshiped him. And I think John's saying there, he fell down on the ground and he worshiped him. You know, believers are worshipers. All believers are worshipers. Show me somebody who does not worship Jesus, and I will show you an unbeliever. And I'm not talking about how expressive you are, okay? Some of us are out there. Some of us are, I'm talking about a heart level. Do you adore him? Are you smitten with Jesus? Are you enamored with Jesus? If you believe that Jesus is the son of man who came to earth and died as your substitute, he died for you. When you hear his name, you don't yawn, okay? When you hear his name, you are so enamored that you worship him, okay? That's just the, the natural response. And that's what we see in this man. He worshiped him. And then in verse 39, Jesus turns the, turns the tables, and we find that there were Pharisees nearby that were listening to all this. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Many times Jesus said, this is why I came. I came to bring a sword. I came to seek and save the lost. Here he says, I came for judgment. And this is not the ultimate reason he came. The ultimate reason he came is so that people might have their sin removed, so that they might become sons and daughters of God. But there is a sense in which Jesus came as uh, he came for judgment. He's this proverbial fork in the road. Once you encounter Jesus, you have two choices. You don't have three or four or five. You have two choices once you encounter Jesus. You can either believe and worship him, or you can reject him and face a certain judgment, okay? You will remain in your sins, is the way Jesus said it in John 3. And then beginning in the second half of this verse, Jesus speaks of spiritual blindness, or more precisely, he speaks of, of people's awareness of their spiritual blindness. And so those who do not see are those who are spiritually blind and they know it. People like the man blind from birth. 
people who know they're spiritually blind or, or who are spiritually blind and they know it. Those are the people that Jesus gives spiritual sight to. Those who see are those who think that they have spiritual sight, but they really don't. People like the Pharisees. Jesus came so that such people might be confirmed in their blindness. And again, this isn't his ultimate purpose, but the result is that they are, are hardened in their, their unbelief. And the Pharisees were listening to Jesus as he said that, and they were pretty bright here. They understood, I think he's talking about us when he says this. And so verse 40, those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. And so notice again, he's playing off of their own self, uh, self-evaluation. The reality is that due to the fall, every person on the planet is blind spiritually from birth, okay? That's the reality. Uh, but if they said, we are blind, so open our eyes so that we might see, Jesus says, okay, that's why I came. He would open their eyes and they would see things they never even dreamed existed. But since they say, and that's what he did to the, the man blind from birth, but since they say, and since you say, again, it was their own evaluation of themselves, since they say we see, Jesus was no use to them, absolutely of no use to them. They would remain blind. They would remain in their sin. And so what we see in this passage is what Jesus still does today. Jesus woos people to himself. But in the final analysis, he, he defers to our own self-evaluation. He really does. And so the question that this poses for every single one of us is, have you ever acknowledged your spiritual blindness? Have you ever flat out said, God, I admit that I am spiritually blind. Would you give me sight that I don't have? And we really have only two options. We've seen it here already. One option is to be like the Pharisees uh, who were offended at the, the insinuation. And I know when I first heard the gospel, when I was a, a sophomore in college, I was offended. My dad was a pastor, okay? People ask me, are you a, a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. I've been going to church my whole life, and that may be you. You may have thought that coming to church and doing Christian things, that that made you an insider with God, that you've seen your whole life. You may have never said, actually, I've been hearing, but it's just gone right past me. I, I've been spiritually blind. I haven't seen any of this. But that was the Pharisees. They would rather go to hell then conclude that Jesus is the Son of Man who came to die for their sin. They had their religion, they had their traditions, they weren't interested in anything Jesus had to offer. The other option was to be like the man blind from birth. And so this man, he, he, he had no trouble admitting it. He said, I'm, I, I was blind uh, physically, uh, I was blind spiritually. And so admit to Jesus that you were spiritually blind due to your sin. And like that man, believe in Jesus and he will take away your sin. He will open your eyes 
He will give you life. You become a new creature in Christ. You now have new appetites. But I have to warn you, you're going to have to deal with your pride. You have to lay down your pride. You have to lay down your sense of control. You have to lay down your obsession with figuring everything out and exhaustively understanding everything before you make a step of faith. You have to lay all of that down and admit that you are spiritually blind. And so if you allow Jesus to open your spiritual eyes, I can assure you, many people in this room would tell you, if you allow Jesus to open your spiritual eyes, he will show you a whole world that has just been hiding in plain sight. You'll realize, how did I ever not see this? When I was in high school, I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe about Aslan who died and came back to life. I had no idea that talked about Jesus, okay? I was like, I didn't see that. I had no idea. But if you, put, if you admit you're blind and you come to faith in Christ, he will open your eyes in amazing ways. And you really can't predict what, what this journey will be for you. You will have difficulties, unpredictable difficulties, but you will have brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk with you. You will have a family, not people that act like a family. You have a family in the body of Christ. Now, if you've already acknowledged that you've been blind from birth, uh, that you've been sinful from birth, and you believed in Jesus as the only sacrifice for your sins, the challenge for you is to remain with the same desperation and the same humility that you had at the beginning, okay? Jesus' vision for your life is not that you become self-sufficient and competent and independent and prideful. His vision for your life is not so that you grow to become a Pharisee, so that you become the elder brother, okay? His vision is that you remain humble, you remain desperate, that you, you remain with this, you, you continue to have this conviction, apart from Christ, I can do nothing, and so his vision is that we say something like this from the heart. I once was blind, but now I see solely because of the grace of God. And because I was saved by grace, I will live by grace. Since God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble, I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I will abide in Jesus. I will let his words abide in me. By myself, I can do nothing. And that's a beautiful way to live your life. And it brings satisfaction to you, and it will put you in a position to, to have influence, a compelling influence in the lives of others. And I want to give a, an illustration of, of what this might look like and uh, just how powerful it is in the lives of others when we remain in this place of desperation and humility as uh, we live like people who remember I once was blind, and I didn't, I didn't give myself sight. That came from God, so I'm going to remain dependent on God. And this may seem rather random, but I think it makes the point. And so it's the illustration or the example of, of parenting. And for obvious reasons, uh, influence of parents on kids is life-shaping. It is absolutely life-shaping. You have more control over the life of your kids, especially when they're young, than almost any scenario on the planet. And so parenting is not about technique. It's about being the type of person that your kids need, the type of person who can give love, can guide, can discipline, can befriend, can counsel in every stage of life. And there's nothing more compelling in the life 
of your son or daughter, whether they're five years old or 35 years old. There's nothing more compelling in their lives than humility, heart-level humility, uh, uh, where, where a person says, I once was blind, but now I see, and unless I abide in Christ, I can do nothing, okay? Years ago, probably the most influential thing I ever read about parenting, it was by Eugene Peterson. He wrote this book called Like Do, D-E-W, Like Do Your Youth. He says, do, uh, youth is like dew on the grass. You wait long enough, it will be gone, okay? That's not a problem to solve. It will solve it, itself if you just do nothing. But he says that actually parenting is another opportunity for parents to grow up. And he advocates parenting should be a lot like uh, an apprenticeship, like a plumber or a carpenter would have somebody, hey, look over my shoulder, see how I do this, and then I'll watch you do it, and then you do it on your own. He says, that's what parenting should be like. And so kids, come look over my, my shoulder. Watch how I deal with my sin. I want to show you how I repent how I apologize and ask forgiveness of God and other people. This is how I handle my money. This is how I make decisions. This is how I handle conflict. And so we let our kids look over our shoulder. And that's endlessly fascinating. But Peter's made the observation, he said, most Christian parents have stopped growing. And so they don't really have anything current to show their kids. And so instead of an apprenticeship, Parenting becomes one long lecture. And so parents narrate their kid's life instead of saying, this is, we, we do need to tell our kids things, okay? Uh, but, but we need to tell them in the context of our lives. Let me show you what I'm talking about, the type of life I'm talking about. And that's a compelling vision for parenting. And the good news about this is if you have regrets, we all do, right? My kids are mid to late 20s, 30. Uh, yeah, model repentance, apologize. Yeah, well, most of us have apologized to our kids. And we say, man, I'm so sorry for what I did for you, that anger I provoked in your life when you were a kid. And so there's never too late to, to jump in on this pattern. But this model of influence, it works in friendships, it works in discipleship, mentoring relationships, it works in the workplace, in our conversations with people who need Christ. The challenge is to maintain this attitude of desperation and humility. I was saved by grace, and I am absolutely dependent on the grace of God from here out. That's the type of person that has a satisfying life and also a compelling life. And so, God, we need you to give us this, this mind. We need you to give us this heart. I pray, God, for the person here today who has never actually admitted, uh, I'm blind. I don't get it. I don't see it. I can't figure it out. God, would you open my eyes? I pray that you would convict that person here and now. Convict that person that today is the most important day in his or her life. Tomorrow may not come. Yesterday is gone. Pray that you would give that person the will to take the risk, the very wise risk of saying, I am blind. Open my eyes. I want to believe. I want life in Christ. And God, for those who have already made that step and become your children, God, would you teach us how to remain humble, remain desperate to learn from you. God, would you do in our lives what we can't do for ourselves? Uh, would
would you give us this hunger, this, this desire to remain in Christ and let his words remain in us. May we experience the satisfaction and the fruit of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.